And let me read these three verses for us. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, in full knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. As I've been meditating upon this section, I am awestruck by the depth, height, and breadth of this short prayer that we have just read. In simple three verses, it maps out the entirety of Christian life. Paul has many of his prayers written down throughout his many epistles. Um, But I would say this Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 should be ranked up high really a second to none, and as such, this should be your daily prayer for you and for other people. Last week, I've talked about the difference between sanctification and growth. So I told you I would like to see these three verses, these three verses as sanctification. Why? I've, I've explained. It doesn't have to be. But when we use the term growth, there is some sense of passivity in it. You just have to wait until something grows. But when you use the term sanctification, suddenly you are responsible. Certain things that you have to do. You have to use the means of grace diligently. You have to be serious about your pursuit of holiness and to be like, more like your Savior Jesus Christ. So, my intention is, as we are looking at these verses, I do not want you to hide behind uh, such a term of growth, but receive this searchlight upon you by yourselves, alone, So that the word of God, which is sharper than two-edged sword, could expose you. One of the best services that I could render to you as your pastor is to present God's word to you so that God's word could examine your spiritual standing. So the very first sword of the Spirit that was presented to us in this prayer last Sunday was the first section of that verse 9. This I pray, Paul says, but we are not studying simply a human prayer. This is God's heart, God's mind. And it said that your love may abound more and more. So the first spirit sword or the searchlight upon your heart that you must you examine your heart is that, am I growing in my love daily is the question. 
When we talk about love, nobody really gets serious because after all, we are talking about love. But when you think about it, as I've explained last Sunday, this is life or death situation for all Christians. If your love is not growing, that really tells me that your love is really decreasing. Called out by the minute because the world will not leave you alone as you are. You're fighting against streams of this, this incessant worldliness. And we are fighting against our own wickedness of our own hearts. So when you read that your love may bound, abound still more and more, you have to take that seriously. So ask yourselves that question. Am I, is my love growing? And uh, we are going to look at the second part of that verse 9. Love is the engine. Love for God is your engine for your Christian life. If you do not have love in response to God's love for you in Christ... There is no Christian life. There there is no Christian life. So do you have that engine is the first question. But today, in God's word, it qualifies that love in two ways. With full knowledge and all discernment. So if your love for God is the horse that you are riding upon, full knowledge and assurance will be the rein that you will rein in and control your horse, which way it should go. And as you spend some time in these three verses, it's one thing to be convinced of infallibility of God's word in doctrine. But as you spend some time reading and meditating upon these words, I mean, I'm just convinced this has to be from God. Man cannot write these, these words. So first question is, do you have that love and is it growing? This is a serious question. And we are going to spend some time thinking about in full knowledge and all discernment. Last week, my main question was, I pray that your love may abound. But love for what? That was the question. And I said the context really demands the object to be God. Your love for God may abound still more and more, and in turn, your love for other people will overflow out of your love for God. Then, in full knowledge of what? What knowledge are we talking about? Connecting it back to last Sunday's, then your love for God may abound still more and more, and in full knowledge of God should be the supplied object again. But this, is, this was my reasoning. So, okay, this is Paul writing. So I will examine where Paul says knowledge in his epistles. And see what he will usually write when he supplies the object. Knowledge of what? I could guess his knowledge of God. But I will give you just a couple of um, examples from other places. So that we could supply the object in this place. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 says this. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him that is God. Ephesians 4.13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Colossians 1.9 and 10 says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, kind of similar sentence, right? With the knowledge of His will. Verse 10 of that Colossians chapter 1 would be again in the knowledge of God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So, I cannot prove it to you that is the case in this case. But when you examine Paul's use of knowledge, he will usually talk about knowledge of what? God, Christ, God's will, and so on. So when he prays here that your love may abound more and more, in full knowledge, the natural reading would be full knowledge of God. So I want you to grow, he's praying. I pray that you will grow in your love for God, but simply not simply your love, some kind of feeling only, but with full knowledge of God. So the second question would be, What am I doing so that my love for God could grow with the full knowledge of God, Christ, and of His will, and so on? That's the second question that you have to ask. Am I growing in my love to God? And um, here it says, full knowledge of God. So, what am I doing about that? That's right. Our love for God comes through the knowledge of God. As we know about who this God is and what He has done for us, then we love God. And as we love God, we want to know more about Him. So it drives you to a place where you could get more information about this God. And where do we turn to? We are talking about conversion. When you are converted, God creates in you that hunger like never before. And you will will never understand, let's say, your moms, dads, and some of the people you see who are listening to hymns all the time, reading God's word. One of the first time that some kind, something struck me was when I was 16 or 17. After school, we went to my friend's house. And uh, he opened up a uh, room that was his dad's father's room. So, you know, I was just, I was just looking at his house and just looking at his, his room. But when he opened his father's room, I still remember that In the middle of that room, there was a small desk that you have to sit on the floor. Small, tiny black desk. And on top of it sat a Bible. 
I remember being confused. He said, that's my dad's room, and he opened up that room just to show me around. And in father's room, there's a desk and there's the Bible, a Bible, sitting on that desk. So my question was, your dad is reading that Bible? Who reads the Bible? That is so thick and, and it's boring. But he says he, he's reading that. So I still remember that it was really, oh, that's weird. Man reading the Bible? Um, his father passed away actually after that. Um, but when I explain these things, it may not make sense to some of you. But when God puts into you a new heart, that new heart will long for the pure milk. And suddenly all these songs that you've been singing will make sense. And, and the Bible, and you listen, and you look it up, and you listen to preaching, sermons, and all of that. And you just cannot get enough. So he prays, I pray that your love will abound still more and more. But God's word will not allow us to have some kind of only emotional love for God. Because it says with full knowledge. And it will not allow us to have some kind of school. Just to learn about God, God information. Because it will engage your heart as, as your love. So you have to have both. You cannot love something that you do not know. And as your knowledge for Christ of God, as it grows, it will multiply your love. As I was studying this, I was reading it in NASB first. And it said, in real knowledge... So again, I am explaining it to you how important it is to have a Bible translation that is faithful to the original script. And I said to myself, in real knowledge, as opposed to what? Some kind of false knowledge? So I looked it up. So the translators of NASB thought that word in Greek is important to be translated as not simply as knowledge, but real knowledge, and that word is not an unusual term, but epignosis. Gnosis, you could hear it from agnostic. Agnosis. Gnosis is knowledge. Most of the times it will use that gnosis as knowledge, but it's epignosis, basically say over-the-top kind of knowledge. So what Paul is saying is, I want you to grow in your love for God and other people. But in, not simply knowledge that you learn, but full knowledge. And what does he say afterwards? In discernment? No, he says all discernment. You see that fatherly heart. I just want you to grow in the maximum possible way. I want you to grow, abound more and more with not simply knowledge, but full knowledge and not simply discernment here and there, but with all discernment. So sense could be that never stop learning about God. 
never stop listening, reading. I will say a few more things about knowledge. I will give you a couple of verses, and I was meditating upon this. It opened my eyes again about knowledge. There are a couple of places where Paul says, I want to know more about God. And let me read those verses to you. Philippians 3.10, we are going to look at it, I don't know when, 10 years from now, I don't know, chapter 3, Philippians 3.10. He says, that I may know him. We expect Paul to say, I want to know God. I may know him, and he says this, and the power of his resurrection. We understand that. And he says this, and there's one more thing. The fellowship or participation of his suffering." Being conformed to his death. Another place is 1 Corinthians 2 2 says this For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and what? And him crucified. So I was looking at these verses just to expand my knowledge about this man Paul. What does he say when he says, I want to know more about God? It is epignosis, that is full knowledge. I want to know so much about my God, and it is fitting for all of us to say that. We cannot get enough of God. But there is more to it. When Paul says in those places that I want to know him more, he includes suffering of Christ, And what he's saying is, I want to participate in the sufferings of Christ. So the scope of his knowledge is not simply, I want to do more study. I want to know more about doctrine of such and such, so and so. But what he's saying is, I want to experience suffering of Christ if that is something that God wants me to have. Then you understand the man, Paul, how he was fearless. He just, remember Lystra, he was stoned. He was stoned at Lystra. People thought he was dead, so he, they left him outside of the gate. What does he do after he woke up from stoning? He goes back into Lystra. Why? Because like he says here, I want to know more about Christ. What that means is, I don't care what happens to me. He suffered for me, so it's fitting for me to suffer as well, and that, that is not going to stop me. To know Christ is to know Christ's suffering. Suffering could be so conceptual that we could talk about suffering. And we nod, yeah, I understand, I want to participate in his suffering. But when it comes to us, we resent it. And I think it's okay for me to say that past two to three years under COVID is really one way for us to learn and participate in Christ's suffering. Not having freedom to do what we want to do. And having been out of that school for such a long time, we cannot do what we are normally 
able to do Sunday after Sunday, doing all that other activities that, that we want to do. But here we are. So let us not waste this time and give thanks to God. Because I have learned from him, Apostle Paul, when he says, I want to know more about Christ, that includes his suffering, but also his response in that suffering. Philippians 1 that we are going to look at, there were people, as he was locked up and locked inside of prison, there were people going around and preaching the gospel. Remember that passage? Out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives. Probably thinking, Paul, why are you so famous? I'm glad you are locked up and it is my time to shine. So I'm going to go and preach the gospel. That's participating in sufferings because he is now in the prison. He cannot do anything about that situation. He cannot free himself. But what does he do? How does he cope with that? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Philippians 2, same Philippians 2.18. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Again, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Final chapter 4, verse 4. Same Philippians, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So, When you can say to God, Lord, whatever is ahead of me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You are my shield, my fortress. And on top of that, if you could say along with Paul, I rejoice in my suffering. Then you could graduate from the school of Christ. That's the knowledge that we are talking about. That's what he is Showing us, as 2,000 years ago, he was locked up in that prison. And we are in such a situation as well. Then it is fitting for us to emulate him, to copy him, to be like Paul who was being sanctified. And he would say, Paul would say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So that's the full knowledge. All discernment, just briefly. Knowledge comes from information. But discernment comes from what? Wisdom. And where does that wisdom come from? It comes from God and His Word. But there was one... um, Definition of the dictionary that was explaining this discernment or insight. And and one of those um, explanations or definitions said this. Insight or experience. It's true that 
The wisdom comes from God and fearing God. But also, the discernment comes from your age. It's not simply reading and learning and listening to so many lectures and accumulating the information. It's not either or. But that discernment, all discernment, will also come from your life experiences. So, when God puts you in a position where you cannot do much, God wants you to learn something that you could only learn that during that time period. God wants us to learn as a church, to learn patience and dependence upon God during this time. That we, when, when else? When else can we learn? Sinclair Ferguson has that Philippians sermon-based commentary. And, and I will end with his comment on this section. I think it's wise saying. Where does that come from? Where does such insight come from? The context gives us the answer. Paul is praying for this, for such insight and discernment come only from God. They come by divine revelation. For us today, that means they come through studying and knowing the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Here's the jam. As we allow the way we think and feel to be influenced by God's word, our own responses to emerging situations will become increasingly molded by the mind and will of God. As we live in his presence, we will become more like him we will instinctively begin to think in a biblical, that is a godly way about people and circumstances. Well said. What he is saying is, yes, inside the discernment comes from the wisdom from God, and we have to study God's word. But as you let yourself be influenced by God's word. It is not simply, oh, what should I do? And let me look it up, God's word. It is more than that. Your pattern of your life will be set by the general theme of God and God's word. So to have discernment, you cannot simply try to discern that situation. It is the little things that you do, little decisions that you make every day. And when the big decision comes your way, then, because you have that accumulation of truth and wisdom that you have exercised all along the way, then you will have that true insight that is necessary for that occasion. So it is a lifelong process. It's not next day you read a chapter and you're suddenly able to discern. But as you live your life in front of God's presence daily, exercising all that 
God has given you as insights, then you will have that discernment that is necessary as you live your Christian life. As we will see, now we have the prerequisites. We have the love for God and for other people. Now we have the reign. On the one hand, you have full knowledge of God. And I've explained that is not simply information, though that is necessary. It is about Christ's suffering. And it is participating in it. Not only that, one step farther, your response to that with joy. That's knowledge. That is, that's what it means to know Christ. And now you will have all insights and discernment. And with that, you could direct your life. With that, you could, God could hold you in his right hand and wield you as that sharp-edged sword for his kingdom. This is required for all of us, all of you. This is a serious matter. So pray to God that God will grant you that love, desire, full knowledge, and all discernment. And God's people will say to God, God, here I am. Use me for your glory. That's where we are headed. Let's pray.